You, you get it? I hope you get it. Winter, right? What is winter? These are the four seasons. What is winter? Winter is a time. We think of it as death, but it's not really death. It's rest. It's a reset, right? It's a recalibration. It's a time to sort of get ready for what's to come, to store up, and like I say, to rest, refresh, reset, recalibrate, right? That's what winter's about. That's the season that is winter, right? In the natural. Then what we do is, is we come to spring and new life, baby, right? I mean, it's just popping out everywhere and it's gorgeous and beautiful and just spectacular. This happens to be what's called the Oxbow in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. This is the beginning of the Snake River. There's a lake right up above it, Jackson Lake. And you let in right at the bottom of the lake. And Julie and I have canoed that particular spot hundreds of times. And it, you, we do it about right when it's dusk. And you see all kinds of, of, you know, elk and moose and baby elk and moose. You see everything you could imagine. We saw, we saw one time, uh, it was with Jared Roth, and we were in two canoes. And literally, that speaker right there, uh, uh, not, what's the bird that's not an eagle but looks like an eagle? Osprey. Came down and snagged a trout. That was, you could just almost put your hand in the water and hit one. That's how many trout were there. Snagged a trout. It was so big he couldn't get it out of the water. So he, he fly, fly, and he dropped it back in the water. And he, but he didn't drop it. But he flight, flight, And then he finally got it up out of the water. It was the coolest thing. I mean, fishing right there. Okay. So this is new life. This is, you know, springtime. And then you go into summer. Now, there's a key to summer, right? Summer, it's not about the new and the fresh anymore. Now it's maturing. This is where the growth is taking place. This is where work is being done, a substantive work. See what I mean? This is just sort of happens, and, and this is, there's this other kind of a thing that's taking place here in the summertime as things are getting mature. Now watch this. The transition from summer to fall has an awful lot to do with, and I want you to follow this because this is going to become important here in a couple of minutes. The transition from summer to fall has a lot to do with the fact that the processes of growth have produced the fruit that they were supposed to produce, and they're done. They produced the corn, they produced the, whatever the fruit was, they produced what they were supposed to produce, and now they're done. And for them to keep growing at that point in time would actually be a bad thing, right? It's, it's almost as if the processes of growth, they're really important, they're really going, but there's just something in them that needs to come to an end because there's another season coming, and that season is, is where you start to drop off that which can be shaken off. See, there's an end to something here that's happening. There's a shaking that's taking place here, and it wraps us back around, of course, to winter. Got it? Now watch this. God says that the way he created everything was in a way that we could look at whatever was created and we could see him in it. Not just him, but how he is and what he does and how he does it. So I want you to see something here. Right here, right, in this spirit. Now, everybody in this room has gone through seasons in your life, haven't you? Right? I mean, this cycle of seasons, right? That time where you're just kind of feeling dead. You know what I mean? You're resting and you're recalibrating and you're resetting, but there's not a lot of life there. There's, you know, you're just kind of, right? And then all of a sudden, revival in your own heart, in your life, right? And this thing happens and just this life bursts out, right? And then what happens is, is that you get into, this is, by the way, Psalm 23. 
Okay, David's saying, still waters, green pastures. You know, God is good. He leads me beside. He's, he's created this wonderful place for me to be. But in the end, you know, there is some work to be done, right? So he takes me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. What's that mean? Well, they guide me and they, they hook me and they bring me back in and they, they take me along this path of growth. And what is this path of growth? Well, it comes to a place of, of death, right? It comes to a place even of the valley of the shadow of death. Now, interestingly, see, once you get to this place, once that which is, can be shaken is shaken, once the thing that needed to be gotten rid of in you is gotten rid of, now all of a sudden your table is prepared in the midst of your enemies. Your cup is overflowing. You, you know, you're surrounded, but you're in a different place. And then you get to have a season of reset again. And then God grows you. Now, this is how he grows you. This is how he grows in the world, and this is how he grows us as individuals. But now, lastly and most importantly, this is also how he grows his body. Now, I'm going to be talking about the American church today. There's, uh, other churches go through the same cycles, but they're going through them differently than we are. We go through it because of what he's done in our land and where we are historically and so on. But I do want you to see something, see? There is, right now, I want to propose to you, there is, in fact, a time, a season that we're in right now, which is winter. And I want to propose to you that we've been in a winter season, a reset season. Think about all the stuff we've been doing. Think about what we've been talking about. Think about how there's not a lot of movement and motion in it. There's just a lot of reset, recalibration, planning, and so on. There's things that we're doing, but it hasn't taken on this kind of life. It hasn't taken on this kind of life. Here's the thing about revival when God is doing it in his body, when God brings us into spring. Here's the thing about it. It's almost just, Katie, bar the door, hold on to your hat. If you can keep up, great. It is a time where God is really doing it. Now, very important to note something. You have to say yes and amen to that season. You have to agree that you want to be in it. You see that? But if you just say yes, what happens? If you just say, I want to be there, oh man, God takes you to all kinds of places you just could have never believed. They're so beautiful. How many people in here are experienced with a time of real revival? I mean, the body of Christ in America. How many people can raise their hand and you had a time of real revival? Now, is that the coolest time ever or what? <laughs> I mean, isn't that the time you want to stay in all the time? You know that there's more growth that has to happen, and you've learned it over the years and so on. But I'm telling you, when you've been a part of real revival, it's just kind of hard to live Christianity without it. <laughs> well, I want to propose to you that we are soon to head into a season of revival. And I want to propose to you, and you're going to see in this sermon how important it is that we say yes to it. It's critical. Not that God won't still do it. It's critical for us personally as to whether or not we'll be in it. We'll be on the sidelines. This happened so many times before to a group that had experienced revival, but then ended up in the next one on the sidelines. <laughs> do we want to be on the sidelines or do we want to be in? Right? This is a really fun sermon. So our person is praying, oh, this is the perfect person. One of our elders, Roger Maddox, just absolutely a phenomenal guy. Uh, you know, I, the list is way too long, but Roger, would you pray for the church? Would you pray for another church too? And pray, pray for the sermon, pray for another church. Thank you. Lord God, we thank you. Thank you, God, for the seasons that you bring us through, God. Thank you that you have a plan. And we see that pattern 
in nature, in your creation, God. And we see it in ourselves. We see it in your church, God. And so I just pray, Lord, that each one of us would hear your voice today, that you would speak clearly to us, God, that you would uh, lead us through the words that Kurt shares today, God, we would hear your voice. And that, uh, God, as we prepare for revival, God, you would prepare each one of us and have revival in our own hearts, Lord God. And that it would just burst out of these doors and into this world, God. And that many would come to know you. Amen. Through this church, God, and through the other churches in this area. We thank you, Lord God. Uh, and just, I, I pray for Center Point Church down in Marietta, where Troy and Sarah are serving. Amen. God, we pray your blessing on them. Amen. And that uh, they would impact their community as well. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, I want to welcome you to our series, Empowered. Coolest graphic ever. Thank you, guys. Uh, what I want to say about it is, is it, I want you to think about this. This is, um, God led us to do this series before I had an understanding of what we're about to talk about today. And as I was asking the Lord, why are we here I think it has an awful lot to do with the fact that he's saying we're moving from a season of recalibration and reset into a season of him producing incredible new life. Now, where else would you want to be except talking about the Holy Spirit at that point in time? Because <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit's the one that's going to be moving and doing all the things he's going to be doing, right? So this is just a really cool thing that God has worked out as he actually leads this church. As I want to say something, we're going to see this over and over. It's incredibly important that we be a prophetic church. Not just like Sam, but the church. It's incredibly important that it be led by the Lord. Because there's things that God is doing in different seasons and there's different messages and different purposes and different reasons and so on. And so I just want to say this is yet one more. You're going to hear several other evidences of the fact that this is in fact a prophetic church. That God actually does lead this body by his spirit in an amazing way. And I am so thankful for it. And let me put it this way. I'm thankful to you guys for going along with that. For being willing to pray about it, discern it. And if you agree with it, if you discern that it really is the Lord getting on board, and going after it, okay? Now, having said that, we're going to do some fun history right now. I could have gone back to Scripture, and I could have showed you these cycles in Scripture, but I actually wanted to show you a more modern example, so we're going to do two run-throughs of this full cycle in recent history. So we're going to be starting with a particularly dead time, okay? 1966, is God dead? This was a winter season in the church, Right? You can look at the statistics and the numbers, everything else, and just the fact that Time Magazine would even dare to put something like that on its thing. Is God dead? It was just, where is he? What's he doing? Winter, he's not. See what I mean? It's not that he's still not there. It's not that he's still not actually doing something. It's just that it's not evident. People that get him, people that understand him, are recalibrating now. They're resetting. Other people are just sleeping. <laughs> they just go along with them, and they get tossed about by the seasons rather than participating in them in fullness. So the point is, this is, a, this is a dead season, but just five years later, here's the cover of time. The Jesus Revolution, which by the way, just is one more evidence that time didn't really get it because it's the Jesus Movement, not the Jesus Revolution. That wasn't, anyway, but the Jesus Movement, right? Now this was, a, this was a spring season. I mean, there are millions of people that got saved. This is a picture in uh, LA, uh, actually um, down by Chuck Smith's church, and this is Chuck Smith's church doing baptisms. They're doing them out here in the water, okay? Can't, can't tell if it was here or here, but the point is, the point, you know, I lived in L.A., and I know lots of people. In fact, how many people here came out of Jesus' movement? 
This is when you got saved. Look at the number of hands that just went up there. Do you see this? And I'm telling you, the church all over this country is filled with people that got saved during the Jesus movement. Okay? And the point is, it was an amazing thing because what was going on was is a lot of people were doing acid and smoking pot, and somebody would drive up in a van and say, hey, you want to go to a party? And of course they did. So they'd pile into the van, and they would take them to church. And they would have this meeting at church, and it would be so wonderful, so much better than the drugs that they were doing, that they would become Christians, okay? And they wouldn't, in other words, there wasn't a bait and switch to it. It was, this was good, that was better. And I'm not saying drugs are good, but you get my point, okay? That's why people were doing them, because they thought they were good, okay? But this is better. And so the point is, is people move there, and they didn't bait and switch. Can you imagine right now today pulling up to somebody and saying, hey, you want to go to a party? First of all, nobody would get in your van. Right? You know, who are you, creepo? <laughs> you know what I mean? 911, right? You know, track my phone, okay? You know, but bottom line is nobody would do that. But then the second thing is, is it, you know, when they got to church, what would happen? Would they be, you know, what would happen? What I'm telling you is when revival's happening, something's happening, <laughs> okay? And it was the kind of thing that people went, oh boy, this is awesome. Now, there was a problem, wasn't there? There was a whole lot of people getting saved out of LSD and, and not getting, getting saved that were doing acid and pot and so on. And the problem was, is when they got to be Christians, they were still doing that. <laughs> so there needed to be growth. There needed to be some maturity. Okay? I, I just want you to see something here. Oh, by the way, I, I forgot something. Th there was a lot of people getting saved in that period of time. And look in your notes and you'll see the actual date range. But, but what I'm saying is, is we're talking 60s and early 70s right now. But you do realize that Dennis Bennett came up here in 1961, right? So Dennis Bennett is the, the first guy in the mainline denominations to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, to get empowered, to be filled with the Spirit. He gets kicked out of his 2,600-person church down there, comes up here, starts Women's Aglow, starts Full Gospel Businessmen's. I mean, how many things came out of the Northwest because Dennis Bennett, or more accurately, God, came here. And how many people in this place know Dennis Bennett, actually met Dennis Bennett? Now look around here. You see how many people here? And, and, you, and that was time, right? <laughs> that was a party, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit was moving and the most incredible things are taking place and so on. So it's not just salvation's revival. In fact, we're going to see another revival here in a minute that wasn't about salvation's really at all. Okay? But the bottom line is, is then you go into the work of summer. And like I say, this is a group of people here. There's, this is kind of an original discipleship group. You see a bunch of young guys with the beards and the long hair and all that kind of stuff. But then you see a bunch of these older guys too. Now these old stone. They seem to be losing. They hadn't got set in stone. They hadn't calcified. They hadn't. And they were going along. God was clearly doing something. And they felt, you know what? We've got to teach these guys that, you know, acid and pot is not really what you do when you're a Christian. And that God has better things still. And all this kind of stuff. And so they did shepherding. And shepherding was enormously helpful in its beginning to bring people into the maturity of Christ. It was very, very helpful. But as we keep saying about summer to fall transition, there's a period of... There's a thing that God is doing to create growth that has served its life. And actually, there's a little bit of a sense a lot of times that there's even something. Can I say it this way? Because of us, not because of God. God could start something that would grow forever, right? But because of us and the way that we tend to pollute things, there is a season at which for God to continue to do that thing, it would be problematic. So, for example, the shepherding movement, which started so wonderfully, 
gets to a point in time, and we're talking now about uh, late 80s. Shepherding movement starts in the early, late, mid, early 70s. And we're now through a summer season. And by the late 80s, what's happened with the shepherding movement is, I literally have a friend, I won't use his name, who was in the shepherding movement, and he was being shepherded by somebody else, and his daughter wanted to get married. And here's what he did. He went to his shepherd and asked whether or not his daughter could get married to this guy. So not only wasn't the girl discerning, it not only wasn't the guy discerning, it was the shepherd making the decision. Well, that's wrong. <laughs> okay? I'm not saying don't get counsel. Man, if you don't get counsel, then you're just going to be dumber for it. Right? You know, there's, there's godliness and wisdom and counsel. But the bottom line is, is that people were doing things. In fact, it didn't even become authoritative. It was not only, it's you have to do what I'm telling you to do. Now, there needed to be a shaking going on with that, <laughs> okay? So I want you to look at something right here. This is what I'm talking about. See, that happened. This is all, the shepherding is killing, is dying about here. And actually, am I, do I keep losing my mic? Uh, sorry, I don't know if it's, whenever I turn, so right from another angle. Okay, the point is, is that when we get to here, it, it, you see that precipitous drop-off? Now, I want to point out something to you here, because that looks big, relatively, but it doesn't look that big. But here's the truth. That when, whenever you look at statistics from 19, in the 60s, and so on, until now, you have to factor in what's called the halo effect. Back in 1950, say, when almost everybody went to church, it's just what you did as a community. When they reported, do you go to church? People would say yes. And there might have been a few people that felt like they should go to church, and so they said yes, and they really didn't. But it wasn't very large as a percentage. Now, literally, you take the attendance and the reported. In other words, you ask a person, do you go to church? And they say yes. And then you look at the attendance. It's exactly half of what people report. So in other words, they self-report as if they're going to church, but they're not. So when you look at these numbers, you have to do this mental gymnastic with it, and you have to understand, we're down to 17% of the country goes to church weekly, if you'll look at actual attendance. See that? So it's much worse in terms of the decline overall that we're seeing, and places like this, which I'm arguing was a winter season, are much bigger. And so what we're saying is, is that, oh, by the way, I, uh, this is another one. You see Roman Catholic sort of bottom or, or leveled off at, in 1960s and has stayed roughly the same. Look at Episcopalian. Look at when that is, too. That's 1960 right there. You see that? That formal church and the hippiedom and all that kind of stuff. Look at this one here. Even Southern Baptist. When they hit 1990, this, part in time, this point in time that I'm talking about, that a winner came in, a lot of people stopped going to church. That's that decline that we see, only it's even worse than what it's showing. Methodism, look at that. <laughs> How'd you like to be in that line? <laughs> Presbyterian, interestingly, they were going down and then they found something that was really starting to work and then frankly, that's right about when the gay agenda hits and people started leaving the Presbyterian church because of, this, because of the arguments and, and the whole thing that was taking place and is, is still taking place in the Presbyterian denomination. Look at Assembly of God though. See that? Now, I'm just about to talk about that number right there. You see that? It did level off in the 19, late, late 80s and 90s. See that? It did level off, but what I wanted, I'm going to talk about what was actually going on right there. But what I want you to see is this. When God does his shaking, he's getting rid of stuff that needs to be gotten rid of. 
In fact, he says it this way. Time has come for judgment and it See that? It must begin with God's household. What God does in the world, he does in his church first. If the church will pay attention and actually embrace it. Now what usually happens is the church doesn't pay attention and we go through it right with the world. But God never does anything but what he tells his saints. Never. And we're really going to see that now as we go through another series of this. So here we go again. All right. So we're in that time of deadness. Okay, and we're, we're, at, we're in the 1990s now where you're seeing that steep decline and so on. We're in this time, it should have been a time of reset and recalibration and so on. But right about the late 90s, you start to see something happen again. Here's, here's one thing that happened that I'm part of and you're part of because you're part of this church. In, 19, in the late 1990s, every church, four square church on the east side had a seeker sensitive pastor in it. I'm not going to mention names because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or anything else. And these are good people, good human beings. So I'm not arguing that and everything else. But those of you who have been around know that what I'm saying is true. Every church had a strongly seeker-sensitive oriented pastor. And by the way, God was doing something with that, so it was fine. There was, a, there, was a, there was a thing that God was doing in that that was great. But every pastor was that way. But then, in about a two-year time frame, God replaced every single one of the seeker-sensitives with people like me. Jim Hayford, me, Peter Van Breda, deeply preaching the word. Preacher teachers. Not, not this other thing, but preacher teachers. People that were trying to get deeper. See? So now what happens is, is that we get, we've got this, we've got this time, and there's this thing that God is doing before he actually does the thing he's going to do. Because what he does is, some of you will remember, because you've been here long enough to remember it, do you remember back in the early 2000s, I started saying this in church, and I said it several different times. I said, there is a huge revival going on. Now, it's not like the one in the 60s where a bunch of people are getting saved. What it is is people who have fallen asleep, who have not been serious about their faith, who are coming out of mainline denominations, all kinds of different things. But what was happening in the early 2000s was all of a sudden you had a whole lot of people getting serious, coming back to churches that were filled with life. Ours too. Ours was growing incredibly well and so on. You've got the beginning of the mega churches that you have around town here starting right then and so on. What you've got is, is people got serious about their faith again. They were starting to come to church again. They were starting to get serious about it. It was life. God was moving on their hearts and they were coming back in in wonderful ways and it was an awesome season. And how many of you remember the first four or five years of our growth? I mean, you know, that will be one of the most precious times of my life. You know, when I go to my grave, I will remember so fondly what it felt like to go through this season of God just doing his thing. People saying yes and amen to it because it was new for most of us and it was awesome, right? But then there's growth, right? There's a maturity. There's things that have to happen. Now, I want you to realize, see, we bought this building eight years ago this last Wednesday, now, that was a time when people had to step up and say, am I willing to sacrifice? And people did. They said yes. They got in. They made their sacrifices. And guess what happened? We became arguably the healthiest we've ever been as a church. We did a fundraiser, and it made us healthy. It wasn't the fundraiser that made us healthy. It was people had to take it seriously and say, what is this thing, and am I in, really? Am I really there? And so this is a time of growth. Now, 
there is this thing that was going on, and I, I'm not just talking about Lake Sam now. I'm talking about a lot of things, but do remember something. Before the crash of 2008, before the big shake took place, I start coming back to this church, and I start saying, discipleship is going in the toilet. Here's what was happening. Ch here's how churches were growing. Um, growing. They were hiring pastors. Then, you know, you don't want to, just think about it. Forty years ago, you didn't even have a worship pastor. In that period of time, all of a sudden you had a worship pastor and a music pastor and a music director if you were big enough. You had three pastors doing music ministry, <laughs> right? And every little niche and every little nook and cranny of the church had a pastor discipline that went with it. And we were just hiring pastors out the gazoo and we had the money to do it. And it seemed really good because it seemed like wonderful things were taking place. But the truth is, is inside of what looked like growth, was the seeds of its own destruction because what was happening at the same time was as we were moving ministry away from the congregations and into the professional ranks, into the pastoral ranks, discipleship in the church was plummeting through the floor. Now we did not see that because it took us, as it does, years later when we looked back and then we started asking and we started seeing, oh my gosh, look what's happening. Now we started talking about this before the crash of 2008 and I started saying, God's going to blow up his church. Remember that? I'm pointing something out. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm trying to show you something. This church is, in fact, led by the Holy Spirit. Does that mean we always get it right? Does it, don't answer that, okay? <laughs> we do not. Clearly, we do not, okay? But as Jack Hayford says, I'd much rather rein in a wild horse than try and raise a dead one. And I want to commend this body for being not a wild horse, but for willing to go for the ride, for stepping up, for stepping in, for being willing, for saying yes to him and going along with him. Because when that happened, now watch this, when 2008 happens in the crash and God starts shaking his church, there are a lot of churches that were just freaking out because they'd just been riding along, not really being cognizant of what was going on, just working their own plans and their own agendas. And all of a sudden, money started drying up, and they were having to fire pastors and all this kind of stuff. And there was a lot of consternation and fear. You know what was happening in this church? Some consternation and fear, I'll admit. But I'll tell you what was actually happening was we'd already been talking about the fact that God's trying to do something new with the church, and we were embracing a vision. We still didn't know exactly what it meant, but we were working through what it means to blow up church. And we started going into the neighborhood, and we started meeting with other churches and things like Jubilee Reach. Things like this big thing that we did in the park last year and we'll do again this year. We're all... All kinds of things started happening that God started doing as he started reforming, resetting his church and moving it into what he wanted it to be. Do you see it? Now this church, because we were being prophetically led, we were embracing a future while God was bringing about the change. So we were participating with him in it the whole way through. Not to say it wasn't difficult, but do you see it? This is important, important stuff. Now, 2008, this shaking time happened, 2008, 2009, and 2010 to 2012. I'm not saying that there's not wonderful things going on in churches. There's still mega churches that are growing like crazy and so on. But here's the truth. Look at the statistics if you don't believe me. Transfer growth. When the mega churches started, there was a lot of salvations that were coming into them. That was in the early 2000s. But the last few years have not been that. They've been transfer growth. That's what's been happening. So there are some churches that look like they're doing great, but the vast majority, when you look at the church as a whole and you say, what's God doing? 
The answer is, if you don't have a vision, you don't know. Because it doesn't seem like he's there. That's what it feels like in winter. You ask him and it doesn't seem like he answers. Personally and as a body, right? Now, I want us to, we're gonna, we're gonna totally shift gears right now. I wanna say this. See, what you can do during winter is go to sleep. And can I say, after a long season, it's good to go to sleep. It's good to get some rest. Can anybody remember when this church did a Sabbath year that we felt was called by the Lord? Can anybody remember what year that was? 2009. Right what I'm talking about. Right when God was shaking the church and blowing it up, God told us, stop. Stop what you're doing. Stop all the noise. Stop all the movement. Stop all the energy. Stop all the things. Stop. Because you need to settle down and you need to hear me. Because the recalibration and the reset that I want you to do is much larger than just a tweak. It's an entirely different way of doing things. And it took us, frankly, three years to figure out what it was that he was actually even saying. And I believe had we not taken that year of Sabbath, which we did marginally well, if not marginally unwell, (laughs) but at least we were trying. And so the Lord was there. And all of a sudden, we started seeing, oh my gosh, there's this thing, discipleship and pros, and we need to switch over, and we need to be doing things differently. Now, of course, this is what the whole church is doing. I want to say something. See, the churches that are really going after God during wintertime, sure, they'll take a rest, but then they'll start planning. They'll start recalibrating. They'll start resetting. They'll start thinking through how to do the new thing, what to do about it, and still try a few things and so on. They're starting to get ready for what God wants to do. Next. You see it? Now that I want to argue with you is exactly where we are, and I want to show you something really important about that. This is from our passage in Luke. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth had no children. This was unable to conceive, and they were both how old? What is it to be very old? Let's just be really careful about this. What? 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 What did they say? Somebody had a funny line. Okay, sorry. I'm sorry, I love the good jokes. All right, but now what? What is it to be very old? Here's one thing that it is, and this is not good or bad. This is just the way it is. When you're older, you've been through this cycle several different times, haven't you? And when you go through this cycle several different times, what happens when it comes back around again? Do you have the same enthusiasm, the same, if I might put it, naivete? No. You've been here. You've done that. You know what you should be having is a certain degree of wisdom, I've been here. I've seen this before. I know that it's not, you know, you know, you can think that this is going to last forever. Well, you know, it's not going to last forever. It's a season that God is doing something and it's going to call for another season. And there's going to be some problems in this and you need to do some weeding because Satan's going to try and put some stuff in there. And you need to be careful because you don't want to tear up the wheat with the tear and all of these things. But the fact is, is that you need to be moving along this thing. You need to have wisdom. But what happens? It's not so much that people that get old want to do it again. They get to a place to where, let's just be frank, they get tired. You know, when you get tired, you just don't want to do it again. (laughs) I just know there's a whole lot of work out there, and I'm just kind of done. You know what I mean? Can't I just kind of enjoy my retirement? Come on. Right? Particularly when you get very old. But some of us who are old already get it. See what I mean? But now follow me here. There's a tension between wisdom and cynicism. 
right? Here's what wisdom is. God, wherever you are, I want to be. Whatever it takes, I want to be there. Is he going to ask of me more than I want to give? Absolutely, it has every time before. Right? But I'm going to try and bring the thing that you've taught me so that we can get through this one even better. Now here's the tension. Boy, you know, I, was, I thought it was going to last forever and these naive young kids and they think it's going to be so great and I know that there's problems. I can just look at it and see what the problems are and they won't listen to me and they won't pay attention and they won't do anything. And so, you know what I mean? And you start to get hard. Don't you? You start to get cynical. Ah, I've seen it before. You think it's all wonderful, but it isn't. This stuff. See it? Now, is that godly? You know, God wants to take you through cycles until the very day that you die. There's lots of old people who have learned how not to get cynical and how to stay filled and fresh and and new. Here was a guy who I do not think got cynical at all. I think the key to his response was that he was very old. Substitute the word tired. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar. Zechariah was shaken, overwhelmed with fear. When he saw him, the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Now, what does that indicate to you? That he was praying. For what? A child. Even though he was quite old. Was it still something he was praying for? Or did God hear his prayer years before? I don't know, but it's worth thinking about, isn't it? See? Now, your wife Elizabeth will give you a son. You're to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. Really important for us here. Look at what God says about him. This is not just you're going to have a child. Isn't that great? Hey, let's celebrate. Ah. Look at what he says about him. Look at this great. He will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He'll turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He'll be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. I mean, how would you like to get this word before your child was born? Right? He will be a man of the spirit and power of Elijah. He'll prepare people for the coming of the Lord. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. He'll cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. This is a good guy. This is a big promise. Right? Wow, I'm going to have a kid and he's going to really be something. This is awesome. Right? That's what a young person says. An old person says, Zachariah said to the angel, how can it be that this will happen? I'm an old man. My wife is also well along in years. It was nice of him not to call her old. (laughs) Then the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. Now listen, I love that Gabriel does this. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Listen. (laughs) Who do you think I am? See what I'm saying? What do you think is happening right here, right now? You see it? This is a moment. I'm telling you, when he says this, he was afraid when he saw him the first time. When he's saying this, I'm thinking that Zechariah is going, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Right? Look, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news, which you have not received. See that? But since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at their proper time. God is going to do his seasons whether we participate or not. The issue is is whether or not we're going to get to participate in them. That's the only question. And when he silences him, do you understand what's really being said? He's being taken out of play. He's not going to be able to whisper sweet nothings 
to his baby in his, in his wife's womb. He's not going to be able to whisper sweet nothings to his wife. Isn't this incredible, honey? Can you believe what God has done for us? For nine months, he is benched on the sidelines. You know what he really is? He's an old wineskin. We think of it, we think of a wineskin as a little as a boda bag, right? This is a boda bag, right? We think of it as a little bitty thing. But this is this is instead of having casks and barrel casks like we do now, you know what I mean? And they could take a certain amount of pressure and all that kind of stuff so you can reuse them. But what they had was leather. And what they did was is that they would it was quite big as you can see, and they would fill it up with this thing. And what would happen is is that you would get the difference between what we call an old wineskin and a new wineskin. Because what would happen is, is once a wineskin had been used, no one puts a new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins will burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. The new wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Jewish people. Jesus is coming, and he's trying to bring spring. He's trying to bring new life. He's trying to bring revival. He's trying to bring a brand new thing into the earth. And what he's saying is, you guys are hardened, and you're brittle, and you will not take the pressure that I'm about to bring, and it's going to kill you. So you're just going to be left behind. And I'm going to take, and I'm going to fill up a new wine skinned with the things of God. That's what Jesus is saying. I could say which one do you want to be, but I hope I don't have to. Let's take another one here. Now watch these two stories and watch how they exactly parallel one another. One promise, true it's two promises because it's a promise to Zechariah and a promise to Mary. But it's really one promise. You're going to have a child, a great child. So it's one promise, two entirely different responses. Meanwhile, the people are waiting. Oh, this is Zechariah when he's being taken out of play. The people are waiting for Zechariah to come out to the sanctuary, wondering where he was taking so long. He finally comes out, and he couldn't speak to them. They realize from his gestures and silence he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When his week of service in the temple was over, he turned home. Afterward, his wife became pregnant, went in seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, he explained. He's taken away my disgrace. Okay. So this is him being sidelined, not being able to, in, not being able to participate in the fullness of this new life that God is bringing to his own very family. Not in fullness. Now, this is the second story. In the sixth month of Eliza's pregnancy, God sent who? Same angel. This is the next verses now. Now, I'm not making this up. God is trying to create a contrast. <laughs> How do you respond when God is doing something? <laughs> he comes to a virgin named Mary. She's engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. Now, by the way, is it harder to make an old, excuse me, a woman who's along in her years pregnant? Or is it harder to make a virgin pregnant? Which one's harder to believe? See it? Now, she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph to send to King David. Gabriel appears to her and says, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. She's confused and disturbed, right? She's the same response he has. Wow, this is freaky, right? The Lord is with you. Confu Mary tried to th think what the Lord could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the Lord told her. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus. Now watch this. Same way he did with, with 
John, right? To Zechariah. He's going to be very great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He'll reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. You see it? The same exact pattern. Mary asked the angel, just like Zechariah did. Only it was a totally different question, wasn't it? How can this be? I'm a virgin. Now, whereas his was, I don't believe it. Hers was wonder. How can this be? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the babe will be born and be holy and he'll be called the Son of God. Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. <laughs> what's, the, what's, the, what's the really, if you were having to do the cliff note version of this, how do you, how do you have that response? Okay. <laughs> right? Yes. Amen to it. Let it be. See it? Watch this. I just want to show you something. What happened to Zechariah when he didn't believe? His mouth gets stopped up. What happens to Mary and she does believe? She breaks out in a song, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, this is later when she's with Elizabeth. Before he took notice of this lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. The mighty one is holy. He's done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who will fear him. She gets to proclaim the good news because she said yes. Because she said amen. <laughs> Let it be. She got to enter into spring. Now, I want us to understand something, okay? I, I, I'm telling you a pattern here, but I want us to understand how desperately important it is that we say yes. Because do remember that when Jesus comes to the Jews, the Jewish nation, and he's wanting to bring springtime, where are they in their hearts? Been through it, done that, cynical, all the old stuff, hard, okay? And Jesus says to them, when you see clouds coming in from the west, you say storms coming, and you're right. And when the wind comes out of the south, you say this will be a hot one. And you're right. Frauds. You know how to tell a change in the weather, so don't tell me you can't tell a change in the season. The God season that we're in now. I want to say something. This is really important for just one second. I know that a lot of people don't have a relationship with the Lord that has a lot to do with feeling and intuition. I know that there's only a certain percentage of people whose relationship with the Lord is dictated by a sense of what's coming and an attempt to enter into what's coming. I know a lot of people, when I talk about, you know, God saying that we were doing these things and so on, that this is difficult for you because it doesn't feel like that to you. You don't feel these things. And here's what I want to say, lovingly and gracefully, but I want to say it also biblically and soundly. God right here is telling us that all of us are supposed to be discerning the times. That all of us do, in fact, have intuition that all of us do in fact have an ability to sense what is coming next, if by nothing else than that you've seen the pattern before in Scripture. I don't have to tell you that spring is coming because I feel like it prophetically. I can tell you that spring is coming because we've been in winter. 
And what happens after winter? And so I'm supposed to be doing what? I'm supposed to be looking for it. I'm supposed to be going after him in it. I'm supposed to be, if I can come back to one of my most important things, I'm supposed to be in devotionals in a way that the Lord can actually lead me. All of us. No matter what the relationship is like, this is, a, this is so important. Our devotional time is not about connecting with God so that we can get on with our lives. Our devotional life that we do at the beginning of each day as a tithe of the day unto the Lord is so that we can be tuned into Him so that He can actually lead us throughout the whole of our day. And so that no matter how natural intuition is, for women it's much more natural, no matter how natural it is to you, you will nonetheless be exercised, trained, and raised, raised up in it. Do understand, you make mistakes. I make mistakes. I still make mistakes. But most of you have known me for about 15 years, coming on 15 years now. And those of you who have known me for 15 years, I hope you can say at this point in time, I'm a little less likely to make a mistake today than I was back then. I'm growing in it as I seek him, as I go after him, as I pursue him with everything that I've got, heart, mind, soul, and spirit, as I'm willing to put the entire church at risk in order to do what I really believe in my heart as the Lord. And it's not just me that made that decision. There was many people that we talked with, and that's one of the ways that you check yourself, right? You talk with people, and you get an understanding. You make your case. You see what they say back. And then what do you do next? Well, you start living with it, and you see, is this true? Is this real? Is it just me? Am I making this up in my heart? Because we can get deceived. We can follow off our own heart. But as you get better at it, as you've gone through that pattern more and more, you begin to discern more and more what really is kind of you and where you're having to conjure it up because it's something you want and what really is a life of God where he's the one who's birthing something inside of you. We have to do this. And I just am going to leave you with, we're not done with the sermon yet. We're very close, but... As they left Bethany the next day, Jesus was hungry, and off in the distance he saw a fig tree in full leaf. He came up to it, expecting to find something for breakfast, but found nothing but fig leaves. Now look, it wasn't fig season yet. It wasn't the season for the figs yet. But what does he do? He addressed the tree. No one is ever going to eat from you again. Ever going to eat fruit from you again. And it, it withered. <laughs> right? That seems unfair. What's he trying to demonstrate? You have to be ahead. Otherwise, you're still in the season that the world is in. God's judgment comes to the church first so that we can be ahead, so that when God is doing the next thing that he's doing in the world, we're prepared for it. We're engaged in it. We're helping the world go through it. The whole church should have been aware of the fact that God was going to do something dramatic in 2008 simply by the fact, by virtue of the fact that they were praying, that they were spending time with him because it wasn't like it was just me he was telling it to. You heard Jesse McCracken up here in that interview and he was saying, God was saying the same thing to me before it ever happened to. And it wasn't just me and Jesse, it was people all over the place, all over the country. People were starting to say, God's doing something. Now, was it a majority? No. But was it a voice? Yes. And you see what he's saying. You, you can't just go along and be behind the curve. Because what's actually happening is you're being left behind. And you will not bear fruit. That's the lesson of that very difficult little moment right there. 
He's saying, I'll move you into the seasons when you're supposed to be there. Look, I'm ready. Are you? <laughs> In season and out. Are you ready? Have you gotten prepared? You see it? If we do it the world's way, we're going to be behind the curve and we're going to be left behind. Now, this is why I'm preaching this sermon. This is what I'm doing. I'm about to talk about one last thing, but I just need to make something clear. The reason why I'm preaching this sermon is because I don't want anybody to be left behind. Because I believe that what is going to happen is, is that we are coming into a spring season and I want people to be saying yes and amen to it. I want us to be embracing it. I want us to be ready for it. I want us to be recalibrating and, and getting ready and doing all these things so that when the, God does what he does, we're ready. And I think that it is critical that we do that, and I hope I've made that point. But as I was on my walk, and I was asking, how do I illustrate this? How do I make it stick? He brought something to my mind, which frankly, I want to make it clear. I don't actually want to talk about this right now, and yet in the Lord I do. But in the natural, I don't. Because I'm going to talk about Jesse McCracken now. And this sermon has not been an appeal for Jesse McCracken. In fact, let me say something. For those of you who do not know, Jesse McCracken is a guy that the Lord simply brought to us. It wasn't anything we did. We weren't looking for anybody. We weren't raising money for anybody. We, weren't, we knew we needed somebody, but we weren't looking for him because we didn't have the money and we didn't think that there was any way to do it and we were here and so on. And all of a sudden, God brings something. And again, I'm indicating that I think that this is God. And if I wasn't, didn't think it was God, I shouldn't be presenting it to you. But here's the first thing that you've got to understand is just because I think it's God doesn't mean it is. Can we be totally clear on that? Just because I think it God doesn't mean it is. This is a family. And a family is the one who makes decisions. A family is the one who says yes and amen to a thing. Now so far it's gone very, very well. We've gotten good counsel. People have seen him now and everything else, but I really did want to give everybody a couple of weeks break. And we've had a couple of weeks break now since he was here. And you were getting a lot of information about it, but here we are right now. And now I need to say one more thing before I tell you what I think the Lord is doing and saying in this moment. But I need to say one more thing. And I, I need to make this as clear as I possibly can. I do not care if you give any money to Jesse or not. Now that's not true, right? Because I would like you to give, because I think it's the Lord, and I would like us to respond, and I would like there to be more than enough, right? Of course I would like that, but I want you to understand, I cannot, I'm not allowed to care whether or not you give it or not, because it's not my business. My business is simply to lead you where I think the Lord is, and then it's your business to decide whether or not you want to be there, or your business to decide whether or not it actually is the Lord. And maybe it's not, and I don't care if you give to him or not. Here's what I do care about, it comes from Tamara Lee. I was waiting and I was saying, I felt like the Lord was saying, I wanted to send maybe an email. I wanted to do something because I knew that people, you know, we'd heard, but now there was nothing and what are we supposed to do next? But I knew I wasn't supposed to do anything. And Tamara Lee comes to me and she said the most amazing thing. She came to me and she said, I want, we talk about other things, and, but at the end of the conversation, she said, I want to talk to you about Jesse for a second and I want to tell you what I'm discerning. What I'm discerning is, is a certain passivity particularly amongst first generation. The people who are new to the church, they see and they hear Jesse and they go, wow, they totally get it. Their hearts are there and everything else. But she said, I do have this, I do feel this degree of passivity that's in people that go something like this. If God brings us the money, great. That would be awesome. I would love it. If he doesn't bring us the money, we'll survive. As for me, I'm not really going to worry about it much one way or the other. I'm not really going to engage this moment particularly. 
I'm just not saying I'm not going to engage at all, but to varying degrees, there's a certain degree of passivity. Now, you've been invited to a video email to conversations on this next Thursday and next Sunday, but the bottom line is I, I want to I go to what I think God is actually doing. And this is my opinion, but it ought to be pretty clear. Here's the only thing I care about. I care that you go to the Lord and actually pray. I don't care what your decision is, because whatever your decision is, we're going to deal with that, right? But I can tell you what I don't want to be. I don't want to be a church that God was trying to bless. And we've been there and done that. And so we just didn't pick it up. We just stayed behind the curve. We have never been that kind of a church. It has hurt us to be so aggressively that kind of a church. Because it's more work than just going to church and listening to a great sermon. And then being able to go on. Being at Lake Sam is a challenge. And the challenge is, is I'm going to be pressing into God until the day that I die. And I'm going to get some things right. And I'm going to get some things wrong. And I'm counting on you, my family, to help us discern what is and what isn't and to engage when it is. I want us to be a church as we have been throughout our history that says, I am the Lord's slave. May it be done to me according to your word. And so I'm asking this church with everything I've got, if you, if you believe in me as a leader in any degree whatsoever, I'm telling you this is the example that I think God wanted to bring for this sermon. This sermon was not about this. This was the illustration that I wanted to use. But as I did it, I realized in the fullness of God, I will pray about what God wants me to do about Jesse, and I'll do whatever he leads. There's not one more thing that I'm asking of you. And I think that that is incredibly reasonable to be asking. We have about two weeks to make a decision, make commitments. And then I think that window is going to close.